The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. The following program is a production of Chilling Entertainment and the creative team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcast Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com to learn more about this and our other weekly storytelling programs and become a patron today to show your support and get instant access to our extensive archive of downloadable ad-free tales of terror. Thank you for listening and enjoy the show. Good evening. I'm storyteller Otis Gyre, and I ain't your grandfather. From where I'm from, we don't do bedtime stories. And if that's what you were expecting, you're in the wrong place. If it's terrifying tales you're after, well then, I've got just the thing. Get comfortable, settle in, turn off the lights, if you dare. Your night is about to get a whole lot darker. <laughs> Who needs sleep anyway? <laughs> Good evening. You're listening to Scary Stories Told in the Dark. Welcome to Season 4, Episode 3. I'm your host, Otis Jiry. In tonight's episode, I'll be performing six stories for you about ominous omissions, wicked wardrobes, ruinous reflections, and much, much more. And tonight's episode is extra special. All six of this program's terrifying tales comes to us courtesy of indie horror and science fiction author Micah Edwards, whose latest collection of 30 sinister stories, entitled Fright Bites, can be found on Amazon.com, along with several of his sci-fi novella. Edwards is an accomplished author of stories designed to intrigue and thrill. His tales run the gamut from horror to heroism and beyond. Whether it's a short story making you jump at shadows or a page-turner you can't put down, his stories will keep you on the edge of your seat and ready for more. In addition to his books, his work can be found on the No Sleep subreddit as well as at retroactivityserial.wordpress.com. And if you enjoy what you hear tonight, please support Micah by picking up a copy of Fright Bites today, available in Kindle and paperback editions for as little as $2.99. The book contains several of the tales featured tonight, 
as well as many others you won't hear anywhere else. You're listening to the Standard Edition of tonight's program. If you'd like to show your support and enjoy an extended version of this and other episodes with twice the terror, visit simplyscarypodcast.com and click Patrons in the upper menu to sign up today. Thank you for your support. Now, it's time to take a walk together down the moonlit trail. So lock your doors, turn your lights down low, and settle in. This show is about to begin. (laughs) Our first bite-sized tale of terror this evening from Micah Edwards goes to show just how far people will go to keep things from falling apart. Without further ado, I present to you, These are the Lies We Tell. The dog ran away today. It's an easy lie, a simple one, believable. No one questions it. Everyone knows how dogs are. There's some work to follow through on it, of course. Walking around the neighborhood yelling, whistling, putting up posters fielding calls from people who claim to have seen the dog, which they haven't, obviously, but I have to play along for the kids. It's sad to watch the hope flare and fade in their faces, but what's the alternative? The truth wouldn't make them any happier. The dog ran away, cleaning the tools in the shed. Barely even a lie, really. Omission, if anything. The shovel did need to be cleaned, and a dent hammered out of the corner where it struck a rock, and obviously the axe had to be sharpened. So why not give the other tools a once-over while I'm out there? It's window dressing, but that's important. Setting the stage appropriately stops people from asking questions, and that saves all sorts of trouble down the line. The less you say, the less you have to remember. Stupid dog ran away. I was out cleaning the tools in the shed. Your mother and I aren't fighting. How can children understand adult relationships? Tension doesn't mean two people don't love each other. If anything, it means they love each other too intensely. It's easy to shrug and walk away from someone you don't care about. Much harder to see someone you love going down the wrong path. I am anything but distant, no matter her accusations. I am deeply invested in this family. I sacrifice to protect it. My honor, myself. I give it all. We talk about getting another dog. The lock in the shed is to keep you safely away from dangerous tools. Your mother and I aren't fighting, but she's gone to stay with your grandmother for a little while. Why do things get so complicated? Here, at least, is one designed to reduce questions. Everyone knows what staying with their mother is code for. Not the children, of course, but they still think that the dog ran away. Everyone else just sees me putting on a brave face. I think they respect me for raising the kids without her. I didn't want this. Everything I've done has been to protect this family, to keep it together. I don't know why she couldn't see that. I never wanted to be in this position. At least it's winter and the shed won't start to smell for a little while. She's taken the kids. Condensing. All other lies fold into this one. There's no one left to care about the dog, no one to ask about the tools. No one asks for details on this. It invariably gets a grimace and an awkward apology. Meanwhile, I can take a deep breath for the first time since the dog ran away. Funny how easily that line comes now. Even when I don't need to say it, it just is what comes to mind. My time is my own again. Time to watch TV. Time to work in the yard. Time to dig holes without anyone asking why or what for or why don't you pay attention to this. I pay so much attention. Everything is about you, even this, even now. Isn't family supposed to be about happiness and togetherness? We're happier now, and we'll always be together. She really was going to leave, you know, tear this family apart. I couldn't have that. 
I kept us together. She got full custody. That's the dog's grave. Omission, again. It's the dog's grave. If you dig down, you'll find the dog. I don't know what kind of sick-minded person would dig into a dog's grave, but you can never be too careful these days. People ask a lot of questions, stick their nose into other people's business. So, if you dig down, you'll find a dog, and you'll be ashamed of yourself and cover it back up. Which means you won't dig a few more feet down to see what else might be there. I'm not ashamed. I'm just not stupid. The world runs on polite fictions. These are the lies we tell. I hope you enjoyed These Are the Lies We Tell by Micah Edwards, as performed by yours truly. Up next, we've got another terrifying tale from Mr. Edwards about a practical joke gone too far. Without further ado, I present to you Lost and Found. It started as a joke. My wife and I host a lot of parties. And if you've ever done cleanup after a party, well, you know that people leave things behind. Hats and coats constantly, scarves, purses, whatever. One time I found a pair of prescription glasses stuck between the couch cushions. They're thick glasses, too, like Velma thick. I don't know how the owner made it out of the front door without them, let alone how they drove home. A lot of the time, we get a call the next day or the next week, someone going, Hey, so, I haven't seen my jacket lately. Did I leave it at your place? But sometimes, no one ever claims it. And Jenny and I, Jenny's my wife, we aren't about to call everyone who's at the party to ask if they're missing whatever we've found. So we just chuck it in a wooden chest we've got in the closet and leave it there until someone does come looking. So recently, we had a winter party, and someone left their pants here. Now, it's not that kind of party, so I was pretty surprised to find a pair of pants lying around afterward. They were snow pants, the kind you wear over your other clothes to keep them warm and dry, and they were folded up and stored in a corner. I figured that probably someone had just shown up in them to stay warm, then taken them off once they got inside. Between the warmth of the house and the warmth of the alcohol... They must have forgotten to put them back on when they left at the end of the night. Jenny flipped through her pictures from the evening, but didn't have any shots of anyone wearing those pants, so into the trunk they went. As Jenny was tossing them in, she commented, I bet we would clothe a whole person with what's in there. We laughed, but then I got to thinking that she's probably right. So, later on, I dug through the trunk, and sure enough, in addition to the pants, we had a button-down shirt, multiple jackets, several hats, a pair of gloves, a couple of scarves, and two pairs of shoes. While Jenny was out of the house that night, I put the shirt on a hanger, hung the jacket over it, clipped the gloves to the sleeves and the pants to the bottom, and wrapped a scarf around it. Then I hung the whole thing up in the hallway, plopped a hat on top, and put the shoes beneath it. The pants hung just to the ground, so at first glance it really did look like someone lurking there, especially with the lights off. I heard the door slam when Jenny got home. She started to call out a greeting, but it abruptly cut off in a shriek. I came into the hallway laughing to find Jenny standing there with a hand to her chest, glaring at me. Her clothes dummy swung quietly off to the side. Uh, real funny, she said. You about gave me a heart attack. I'm oh, very sorry, I said, but I was laughing much too hard for her to believe me. Oh, yeah, you'll be, she said with mock seriousness, but she was laughing too now, uh, now that she was past the initial shock. Anyway, I thought that was all extremely funny, right up until I got up in the middle of the night to go to the toilet. I walked into the bathroom, turned on the lights, and shouted out loud because Jenny had moved my clothes dummy into the bathroom and posed it sitting on the toilet. From the bedroom, I heard sleepy laughter. Do you know what happens 
When you scare someone who's on their way to the bathroom? I demanded. Rags are under the sink. Clean up whatever you need to, Jenny called back. A lesser man would have to clean up. I have iron self-control, I told her. Is that why you screamed loudly enough to wake me up? She teased. I didn't dignify that with a response. Also, I, I didn't have one. So this became a thing. Jenny and I would move the dummy around, and after a while it wasn't even to scare each other anymore. We named him Albert, and he was just a feature of the house after a few weeks. We'd put him in the kitchen, the dining room, wherever. I came home a couple of days ago to find the clothes slumped in my chair in front of the TV with one of my beers in his glove. I just got another beer and took a seat on the couch. Jenny came in later and said, You're not going to move him? Yeah, he was here first, I shrugged. Oh, you're ridiculous. Jenny told me and took Albert's beer. He's not going to like that, I said. Jenny laughed. What's he going to do about it? That was a couple of days ago, like I said. Yesterday, I came home to find Albert hanging by the picture window at the back of the house. His clothes were splashed with something red, and there was a dripping knife wedged in one of his gloves. It was a pretty gruesome sight, and I applauded Jenny's ingenuity. Did he get you, honey? I called. No response, obviously. She wasn't about to give up the joke that easily. Hey, the stuff's dripping on the floor, I said loudly enough for her to hear me wherever she was hiding. I think it's staining the carpet. Still nothing. So I got a paper towel and wiped up the blood, then took Albert's knife away from him. Whatever Jenny had really used did look like blood, and I was starting to get uncomfortable. Honey, okay, you got me. Joke's over. Still no response, so I went looking. I went through the entire house and couldn't find her anywhere. Her car was out front, but Jenny was just missing. I called her phone, but it rang through to voicemail. When she still hadn't shown up by midnight, I started to get panicked. I'd called a few friends, but no one had heard from her. I decided to get a few hours sleep, then figure out what to do in the morning. I laid down, turned out the lights, and was falling asleep when I heard a slight noise in the hallway. I opened my eyes to see Jenny in the doorway. What have you been? I started, turning on the lights, but my voice died in my throat. It wasn't Jenny. It was Albert, hanging from the doorway of my room, swaying slightly back and forth above his shoes. The knife was back in his hand. My heart was hammering. This was obviously just Jenny taking a joke too far, but when I called out for her again and she didn't answer, my fear spiked. I took those clothes down, carried them downstairs, and even though I knew it was totally illogical, I burned them in the fireplace. I expected Jenny to come out to laugh at me once I got the fire going, or at least to chide me for stinking up the house. I don't know what they pack snow pants with, but it smells terrible when you burn it. But the fire burned down to the ashes, and I was still alone. I slept for a bit, and when I left for work this morning, there was still no sign of Jenny, and she still wasn't answering her phone. I called the police to report her missing, and they're supposed to be sending someone over to take a look around and interview me, I guess. I hope they get there soon because I just heard a noise from upstairs, and when I went up to look, the door to our walk-in closet was standing open. Hanging from the bars, aligned in two neat rows, were a dozen of Jenny's outfits. Shirts on hangers, pants clipped below, shoes lined up underneath. The bedroom door only locks from the inside, but I closed it and used my tie to tie the knob to the banister in the hallway. I was going to leave the house but there's a coat rack by the door, and I really don't think I lined my shoes up underneath it like that when I got home. I hope the police get here soon. Mm -hmm. 
The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is. And it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. I hope you enjoyed Lost and Found. Just a reminder. Each of the six stories in today's episode come from the twisted mind of sci-fi and horror writer Micah Edwards. Several of the tales on this show, and many more, can be found in his recent 30-story collection, Fright Bites, available on Amazon.com. Just head on over to Amazon and search for the author by name, or for the book's title, Fright Bites. In Micah's anthology, you'll hear stories about mysterious creaks in the night, a spreading stain on the ceiling, and not-so-friendly children's toys. These and other innocuous moments form the seeds of terror in a few of the chilling tales presented in Edward's book of short horror stories. Each story is a tense tale of terror, self-contained and ready to keep you up late at night, scared to turn off the lights. So dive into Micah Edwards' latest collection, Fright Bites, if you dare, and discover that from construction zones to attics to the blankets of your own bed, Nothing is safe, nothing is secure, and nothing can protect you from the horrors that await. Up next, we've got a third terrifying tale from tonight's featured author about a friendly rivalry turned frightening. I present to you, she's waiting in the reflection. I wasn't always alone. I used to have friends, four or five at least. Good friends, I mean actual friends. The kind who matter to your life. I'm pretty sure I had four. I don't think there were five. I'm going to tell this story as it probably happened. Otherwise, it'll be full of I thinks and I guesses. And it must have been. So just know that this is true as far as I can put the pieces together. There's a lot of guesswork and probably... A bit of wishful thinking, but I've done my best. The five of us were hanging out one night a couple of months ago. Me, Mark, Bethany, Zoe, and Andrew. It was a game night, so we sat around with beers and snacks and casually insulted each other all night, all in good fun. It was comfortable, fun time with friends who go way back. We'd already weathered the storms that eroded the rest of the group. Moving, kids, whatever. Bethany had dated Mark for a while, and dated me after that. In addition to Bethany, Mark had dated Andrew, too, and Zoe for like a week. I was the only one of us Mark hadn't slept with, and it was a constant joke that he wanted to collect the whole set. 
We'd had plenty of hurt feelings in the past, is my point. But we'd come through it. We were all on easy good terms with each other. We loved each other. Andrew's the one who suggested the game. It was midnight or so, and no one was going home yet. But the card games had died down, and we were all just lounging around. Curiosity killed the cat, he called it. He made a spreadsheet and put it up online, and we all got our phones out to edit it. We each put our name in, followed by the number ten. Andrew hadn't told us why yet, but with the name of the game, no one wanted to be the first to ask. Andrew just stared at us, expectantly, though, grinning. And finally, Zoe broke down and asked him what the deal was. It's simple, he said. Last one on the sheet gets twenty bucks from everyone else. Eighty dollars, all told. Every time you look at the sheet to see the rankings, though, you've got to decrease your number by one. When it gets to zero, you're out. Well, I just won't look, then, laughed Mark. Andrew smiled. Two catches. No one ever has to tell you if you've won. So if you never look, we might all owe you twenty bucks that you'll never know about. And also, everyone's allowed to lie. I could tell you you've won, or that I have, for that matter. If you want to find out for sure, you'll have to go look. What's to stop me from just looking and not decreasing my number? Asked Mark. Andrew looked hurt. Basic honesty? A sense of self-worth, I added. Not ripping off your friends, offered Bethany. And Mark threw up his hands in surrender. All right, all right, no cheating, got it. Last rule, Andrew said. Everyone puts a link to the sheet on the front of page of their phone. That way, we'll all have to think about it. Curiosity begins now. Remember, all you have to do to win is just don't look. Oh, man, I just won, said Mark. I don't know how you all looked so many times already, but you guys all owe me 20 bucks. We pelted him with popcorn. The first few days were easy. No one could possibly have been out so soon, so the urge to look was low. I would have forgotten about it entirely, except that every time I opened my phone, the little spreadsheet icon labeled Curiosity was sitting right there, waiting for me to click it. After a week, I cracked for the first time. I had to know how my friends were doing with the temptation, and ten was such a high number, it was hardly going to matter if it dropped by one, anyway. If I wanted to, I could check it every week for two months and still be in the game. So I opened it. Bethy and I were the only ones still at ten, and of course I promptly changed my number to nine, joining Andrew and Zoe. Mark was down to eight already, which fit. He was never the patient sort. I closed the window and sent a message to the group, to my friends, reading, Mark, how'd you get down to four so soon? My phone buzzed a minute later with a response. Left my phone open. Cat walked on the keyboard, changed my number. Thanks for letting me know. Everyone else better log in and check the numbers, too. I laughed. It would have been marginally more believable if Mark actually owned a cat. This started the lying in earnest, though. Not a day went by without one of us trying something to get the others to look. Sometimes it was by group message, but more often it was a direct communication. They ranged from the blatant, like Zoe's, you must have a will of steel. Your score's double mine. To Andrew's subtle, Mark's out. Want to help me trick Zoe into lowering her score next? That one actually got me. I legitimately wasn't sure if Andrew was telling the truth or not. And we were almost to the end of the second week anyway, so I clicked curiosity to find out, dropping my score to eight. If I had to bet before I signed in, I would have said Andrew was telling the truth. But Mark was still in there at six, and Andrew was the only one of us left at nine. I resolved to up my game. Bethany and Mark made the next move a few days later, early into the third week. Bethany sent the group a message. Nice work with the creepy interface, Andrew. 
Mark responded a minute later with, Yeah, I saw that over the weekend. Didn't know you could do that with spreadsheets. It was a setup, an obvious setup. But what if it wasn't? What if there really was something cool to see and I was missing out? I wouldn't put it past Andrew to add something as a lure. I resisted it for a full day, then broke down and opened the spreadsheet. We were into the third week anyway, so I was still basically on track. As I suspected, there was nothing there but our names and numbers, and I grudgingly dropped mine to a seven. As I was looking over the other numbers, Andrew, still at nine, Mark all the way down to three, Bethany and Zoe both at six. I spotted something, though. It was subtle, hidden in the background, and I had to angle my phone around to catch the light just right before I got a good look at it. Somehow, Andrew set it up so that it looked like there was a creepy, black-eyed woman standing over my shoulder in my reflection in the phone. When I tilted the phone, she moved with the image, just like she was actually in the room. It was so convincing. I even looked behind me to make sure, but there was obviously nothing there. I exited the spreadsheet and looked at my reflection in the phone. Nothing. I clicked curiosity again, reloading the sheet, and as I did, she reappeared. I examined her more carefully this time, impressed with the detail and reality of the picture. She occupied a specific place in the room, and I could walk all around her. She never moved, but when I got close, I could see the faint rise and fall of her chest as she breathed. Her eyes were solid black from corner to corner, and when I peered closely at her slight smile through parted lips, I could see that behind her teeth was more blackness, as if she were hollow inside. I waved my arm through the space she should have occupied, if she were really in the room, but of course hid nothing. In the reflection, though, I saw the slightest flicker, as if she had ducked aside and returned impossibly fast. Her unwavering stare was starting to creep me out, so I reduced my number to six and closed the spreadsheet again, watching her vanish. Okay, that was seriously cool. I texted the group. Don't know how you did that, Andrew, but it was entirely worth the two points I just spent. Uh, fine. I'll bite. Zoe responded, followed only a minute later by, Creepy AF. Jesus, Andrew. Ha <laughs> ha Very funny wrote Andrew. Dude, just take a bow. That's nice work, I texted. Yeah, I gotta know how you did that, added Bethany. Are you guys serious? Drop the game for a second and tell me, came Andrew's reply. No game drop, but you're welcome to spend a point to go find out, mocked Mark. Things were quiet for almost an hour after that, before Andrew's next message. If you're seeing what I'm seeing, creepy reflection lady... I didn't do that. And as far as I know, that can't be done. Not on any current tech. And definitely not in a cloud spreadsheet showing on random phones. I got a private message from Zoe. You think he's serious? Can't be, I wrote back. But I frowned as I wrote it. I really couldn't figure out any way that he could have created an image like that. And more to the point, I couldn't think of why he'd deny it if he did. It wasn't helping him win curiosity, and freaking us all out wasn't Andrew's style. Mark's, sure, but there was zero chance that Mark had done this. We'd have to show him how to add the icon to his phone when he started the game. Programming was not his forte. Well, now you're down to eight, sucker, Zoe sent to the group. So at least I'd convinced her, if not myself. I was weirded out enough to avoid the spreadsheet for a while. It didn't take the icon off my phone, but instead of tempting me as it had before, I just felt a vague dread when I saw it. I clearly wasn't the only one, because partway through the next week, Zoe texted us, You guys want to just drop the game? Not when there's 80 bucks in the line, texted Mark, followed by, But you can drop out. Just go look at the sheet a few more times. Bethany replied with a non-sequitur. Guys, whose idea was this game? I started to reply, then stopped. 
It had to be one of the four of us. I remembered when we set up the spreadsheet and we were all in the room. But somehow I couldn't remember which one of us had come up with the idea. Who knows? We were all drunk, replied Mark. No, we're missing someone, insisted Bethany. Who? texted Mark. It's just the four of us, has been for years. Bethany, then why is there eighty dollars up for grabs? It's hard to judge, pauses in text, but I could picture Mark making the same face I had moments earlier when I tried to remember who'd suggested the game. I must have been including myself, came his uncertain response. No, there was someone else. Someone's been lost. Lost? Lost how? If there had been five of us, there would be another name in the spreadsheet. Reluctantly, I clicked the curiosity icon to see. I held the phone off to the side and at an angle, trying to make sure only the ceiling's reflection showed. There were four names, just like there should have been. Bethany at six, me and Zoe at five, and Mark at two. As I watched, though, my number changed to four, and Mark's dropped to one. I closed the sheet quickly and texted Mark, Are you editing the sheet? In reply, he sent me a blurry selfie taken in a bathroom mirror. It showed him standing alone in the empty bathroom, the look of abject horror on his face. Can you see her? I can see you, I sent him. She's in the mirror right now, not in the phone, the real mirror. I'm afraid to look away. Stay there, I'll come get you, I texted. I ran for the door, grabbed my keys on the way. I was in my garage, starting my car before I realized I had no idea why I was in such a panic. My rent was paid, I didn't have any plans for the night. So why was I in such a hurry? Puzzled, I put the car into reverse, planning to figure it out in a minute. When I checked the mirror, though, I stomped on the brakes in terror. The black-eyed woman from the curiosity sheet was in the back seat of my car, smiling and staring directly into my eyes. She wasn't alone, either, but I tore my eyes away before I could see anything more, grabbed for the door handle, and spilled myself onto the garage floor, scrambling for the stairs. I slammed and locked the door behind me, panting for breath. I messaged Bethany and Zoe, fighting autocorrect with my trembling hands, to warn them, try, trying not to look directly at my phone. Curiosity, lady, in reflections, don't look. Oh, Jesus, she is. I can see her in my phone. Zoe wrote back. Bethany, don't look, I said. Typing this, looking on the floor, texted Zoe, you guys can have the 80 bucks if I can just quit playing. Bethany wrote, why $80? So we figured out at that point. We figured out that Mark and Andrew had been lost. I mean, I don't know if those were their names, of course, but I have to call them something, and I like those names. But I think Mark was a strong, big guy, maybe some kind of lunk, but a really good-hearted one. Andrew was kind of nerdy, but not too awkward. Probably had glasses. Maybe that's why he went out so fast. If she was reflecting in his glasses, he'd be screwed. As to how we set this off, I still have no idea. We talked about it for a while, I think. But that just made it worse for Zoe. And Bethany and I let the topic drop once we realized it was just the two of us. It was a bad day for both of us when we understood that we must have had, once had a group chat that we couldn't remember. It was getting hard to measure bad days, anyway. Neither of us had left the house for some time. I blindfolded myself and spray-painted the bathroom mirror and all of the chrome faucets so I could shower again without worrying about seeing her in the reflection. But I forgot about the towel rack and saw her there when I was drying off. She wasn't alone anymore, like I'd noticed in the car. There were three other figures with her, hard to make out in the thin strip of reflection. But they were still just as she was. But while she was smiling widely, they were all silently screaming. I spray-painted the towel rack after that, of course. 
But I was so jittery from the scare that when I picked up my phone to text Bethany and let her know what I had seen, I dropped it. It landed face up on the floor. My horrified expression, a perfect counterpoint to the leering grin of the black-eyed woman leaning over my shoulder, practically touching me. Bethany and I switched to voice conversation after that to avoid seeing the phones. At least I assumed we did. I don't know what Bethany did, but I must have been careful enough because I'm sitting at the computer at my house right now, a glare protector on the screen so that it can't reflect, and right next to my keyboard is $80. I think this means I won. I think it's over. But even if it's just me now, I remember the rules. Everyone can lie. I've counted, though, and I think I'm still at two. I should be able to check the sheet to see if I'm the only name on it, and to see if the black-eyed woman has four screaming figures with her now. Then I'll know if it's over. But what if I miscounted? Uh, I'm not going to look. Wish me luck. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. I hope you enjoyed She's Waiting in the Reflection by tonight's featured author, Micah Edwards. Up next, we've got yet another sinister story. In this one, we find ourselves again amongst friends who've devised a game of make-believe that's so much fun it takes on a life of its own. I present to you The Deef. We called it The Deef. It was supposed to be a joke. Uh, we had a game, the group of us. It didn't really have a name. It was just the cryptid game. It was simple. Every time we got together, one of us had to share a monster story. That was basically it. We started it back in college and just sort of never stopped. There were more rules than that, of course. It had to be original. No more than one story introduced per get-together. Whoever had the best monster story was winning. All of these rules were unspoken, but we all understood them. They'd evolved over the years to create the friendly rivalry of the cryptid game. It kept us in touch, gave us something to talk about when we saw each other, and it was always fun to hear someone else reference your monster, either in a new story or just in standard conversation. I made it up a bunch over the years, most of them ridiculous, The Cord Goblin, an obnoxious electrical creature that can travel through wires and which ties unattended cords into knots. The Skulk, a gelatinous creature the color of seawater which lurks in the ocean and generates that unpleasant pulse you sometimes feel when you realize you have no idea what's below you. Halitus, a bent shadow which breathes into your mouth at night. I was rarely winning the game, but every time I went swimming in deep water, I thought about the skulk, and all the others did too. That was all I wanted out of the game, to give my friends the man-what-if moment. The others took different approaches. Jennifer just went with whatever news article she'd happened across at the time, spinning it into something unearthly. Alex, too, was all over the map, 
with no clear thread between any of her creatures. Rebecca, on the other hand, always started her stories the same way. Deep in the unexplored jungles. She was big on lost tribes and creatures forgotten by time. Less likely for anyone to think about on a daily basis than mine, but more likely to actually be real. Well, more possible, anyway. Likely is a bit of a stretch. Emmanuel liked insects. Psionic beetles that lived in the roof beams of houses, putting out stressful emanations and feeding on the resultant fights and negative emotions from the families below. Gnats that laid eggs in tear ducts so that the maggots could wriggle their way into the sinus cavity, hiding safely and feeding off of the mucus until they grew into their adult form. His were usually good for a serious shudder, more so if you had a particularly vivid imagination. They weren't out of the realm of possibility, either. Bugs and parasites have some weird life cycles and some terrifying adaptations. Connor. Connor liked predators. Big things. Scary things. Things that moved among humans, hunting them. His creations were responsible for the lost pets, the missing children, the runaways. Like Rebecca's, his stories always started the same way. Ach, so picture this thing. He had a rich Scottish accent, which somehow gave his monsters more vibrancy, more life. They were the least likely of our stories, because they were the sort of monsters that someone would have to have noticed by now. But when you were alone in the darkness, logic like that didn't matter. That's where Connor's stories would always come back to haunt you. If he had a failing, it was that his cryptids never had a name. They're always just this thing, which left it up to the rest of us to name. We would invariably come up with the most ridiculous name we could think of, undercutting the story. He told us one about an underground hive of man-sized wasps networked across miles. They would steal cavers and solitary hikers, dragging them down to serve as food and hosts for the larva. Connor was waxing eloquent about the hive structure when Rebecca suggested we should call them beasts, and we all broke up laughing. Even Connor was a good sport about it. The Deef was another one of his, a fairly recent one. It was something like a giant boar. Ach, picture this thing. Only with the grace and speed of a tiger. It stood five feet high at the shoulder, and its mouth could unhinge like a snake's in order to scoop up its prey and capture it in a gnashing cavern of knives. It once lived in forested areas, but as civilization expanded, it found richer hunting grounds and cities. It evaded detection, Connor told us, through its speed and sleekness of motion. Despite its size, it could slide undetected into alleys, behind cars, in any of a thousand overlooked urban hiding places. It slept during the day and hunted at night, when its dark coat provided camouflage in the darkness. The most terrifying thing about it, though, was that it absorbed sound. Things grew quieter when it was nearby, dropping to utter silence in its immediate presence. You might never see it coming, but you'd know it was right there before it took you, because you would feel like you'd gone completely deaf. Deaf? I had asked, mimicking Connor's brogue, and Rebecca exclaimed, The deaf! Connor rolled his eyes at us and said, smiling, Fine, the deaf! your reprobates. Call it whatever your name you like. You won't be calling it anything when it comes for you. Absurd name or not, though, the Deef was one of his best ones. It stuck with me strongly. I could picture its thick, bristly fur, see its bloody snout, with the expandable lower jaw. I could even visualize the way its flanks would heave as it ran, streaking silently down city sidewalks in pursuit of prey that had no reason to look behind, no idea that anything was there at all. The Deef kept me looking over my shoulder for weeks after Connor introduced it. It wasn't just me, either. 
Emmanuel confessed that he'd started using his flashlight on the walk from his car to his apartment building in case the thief was concealing itself in one of the shadows. I don't really think it's there, obviously, he told us. But then again, it doesn't cost me anything to turn on my phone's flashlight. And that was exactly it. Obviously, it wasn't real. But at night, alone in the dark, what if? That was the fun of the cryptid game. Except that the other night, I was texting with Alex while she was walking home from the corner store. Quiet night out here, she texted me. The city's so different at night. Yeah, I said back. Whole different animal once everyone goes to sleep. It's even quieter than usual tonight. Thief quiet? I asked. <laughs> yeah, bunch of shadows, too. Could definitely be a thief around. <laughs> well, good luck. Been nice knowing you. That was a few days ago. Emmanuel called me yesterday morning to ask if uh, I'd talked to Alex. And when? I checked my phone and saw that that was the last conversation we'd had. Oh, yeah, well, no one's heard from her since then, he said, sounding worried. I'm going out looking for her after work today. Can you come help? We'll go from her apartment to the bodega, see if we can find anything. What are we looking for? I don't know anything. She's missing. I assured him I'd come help. After work, we met up by her apartment and started walking. I still had no idea what I was looking for. The streets looked like streets. It was trash, graffiti, paint, dirt, the usual. Emmanuel and I did a slow walk to the store, scanning every alley as we went. By the time we reached the store, the sun had dropped behind the buildings. Now what? I asked Emmanuel. Check again on the way back, I guess. See if we missed anything. I thought about pointing out that if we hadn't seen anything earlier, we certainly weren't going to now that it was darker. But he had a desperate look on his face, so I shut up and we started to walk back. Halfway there, we still hadn't seen any sign. Emmanuel started shouting into Alex. Alex! What are you doing? Maybe she's hurt. I don't know. Alex! Shut up! Someone yelled from an apartment above us and I ushered Emmanuel on. At the next alley, though, he called out for her again. Alex! There was no answer, obviously. Even he knew there wouldn't be. It was written on his face. This went on for a few blocks, only two more blocks to go, and Emmanuel's shouts were starting to sound hopeless. Alex! He called out, but he was barely even bothering to raise his voice now. Maybe we can... I began, but stopped dead. I could barely hear my own voice. Emmanuel and I turned toward each other, the same realization hitting us both. Emmanuel, what's... I saw it then, looming out of the alley, behind him like a striking snake. It came from nowhere, seeming to rise out of the bricks themselves, standing nearly as tall as us, its mouth already gaping open in anticipation of its meal. Its hooved feet skimmed silently across the ground as it raced towards us. I tried to call out to warn Emmanuel to move, but not a sound emerged from my throat. It took Emmanuel behind the knees, knocking him over to land, flailing with its mass of mouth. Powerful muscles flexed, and the jagged pouch closed around him. It convulsed, crushing and grinding Emmanuel inside. I could see the bulges where his body distended its gullet. It swallowed. The throat tightened. Swallowed again. And it grew smaller still. A third time. And it was back to normal size. It had consumed Emmanuel in seconds. He was gone. Not even a drop of blood remaining. All of this had happened in total horrible silence. Its meal finished, the thief lowered its head and looked me directly in the eyes. I saw hunger there, but after a moment of regard, it melted away into the alley. I never blinked, but still I lost sight of it within seconds. I don't remember how I got home last night. 
I don't know why the deef let me go at all. But I remember the look in those eyes, and I know that I've been marked. The sun's dropping in the sky again. I have every light on already. The door is locked. It's a huge beast. Surely it can't get in here. The city gets quiet at night. I hope you enjoyed the deef as performed by yours truly. I'd like to personally thank you for joining me tonight for this episode of Scary Stories Told in the Dark. If you enjoyed what you've heard, please take a moment to stop by our iTunes page or wherever else you listen to your favorite podcasts and leave us a five-star review and a kind word. makes a huge difference and would mean a lot to us. If you'd like to hear a premium extended edition of tonight's and all of our other episodes featuring Twice the Terror, visit simplyscarypodcast.com today and click the Patrons link in the menu at the top of the screen. You'll find yourself at chillingtalesfordarknights.com where you can purchase a season's pass for this podcast and our other quality storytelling programs or become a patron for as little as $5 per month and get access to our entire audio archive dating back to 2012, all of it ad-free. If you happen to use Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or YouTube, you can follow and subscribe to Chilling Tales for Dark Nights there, where you'll get all of our latest updates and new releases and have the chance to interact with us each and every week. You can subscribe to me on YouTube as well at the Otis Jiry channel, where you'll find releases of my series, Horror Storytime, dating back to 2014. And you can find me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, too. Just search for Otis Jiry. Finally, thanks again to today's featured author, Micah Edwards, for providing us with not one, but six of his scintillating stories for our entertainment tonight. Don't forget you can support Micah by picking up a copy of his latest collection, 30 Short Horror Stories, Fright Bites, today, available at Amazon.com in Kindle and paperback editions for as little as $2.99. As I mentioned earlier, several of the tales on the episode you've just heard, and many more, can be found in the anthology. Just head on over to Amazon and search for the author by name, or by the book's title, Fright Bites. And if you enjoy the collection, please consider giving Micah a great review and let him know that Otis Jiry sent you. It'd mean a lot to me. Until next week, stay spooky, get some sleep, if you can. <laughs>
Subscribe to us to be sure you never miss an episode, and leave a five-star review and a comment. Your feedback means a lot to me. You can also follow Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and yours truly on Facebook to connect anytime and get the latest updates on this and other programs and my channel. If you're listening on the Chilling Tales for Dark Nights YouTube channel, do us a favor and hit the subscribe button and the bell notification icon for CTFDN as well to get more spooky tales from me and the crew and another episode of this program each and every Wednesday. And don't forget to hit that thumbs up button to tell us how we're doing and leave a kind word or a request. And don't forget to visit us at ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com and consider supporting the team by becoming a patron. In addition to helping us out, you'll get exclusive access to our audio archive and ad-free downloads of all your favorite stories, including those you've heard on this program. As for me, I'll be back next Wednesday with more terrifying tales to keep you up all night. But that's all right. Who needs sleep anyway? <laughs> Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.